Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. My name is Greg Litmer. I am an elder at the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And with me today... I'm Ross Oldenkamp. I'm an evangelist for the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. What we would like to do today is spend a little bit of time in the early part of the Sermon on the Mount. We'd like to talk to you today about the Beatitudes. And Ross is going to handle the first of the Beatitudes. All right. Thank you, Greg. The first Beatitude, as Jesus began to preach... Again, remember, he is talking in the hearing of the multitudes with his disciples very nearby. And he opened his mouth and taught them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I guess the first thing that is important for us to discuss is the meaning of the blessedness that Jesus describes here in stating that they are blessed who are poor in spirit. I think he does suggest that we will have happy, happier lives uh, in, in choosing to live this way, but uh, I think something even, even greater than that. Uh, I recognize that uh, in the very next verse that talks about mourning, you, you're not always going to feel very happy when you choose these, uh, these character traits. Uh, as your as your way of life, but but it, it is describing a fortunate uh, or state of life that supersedes uh, any conditions in life that may make us feel uh, stressed out or unhappy. We know that if this is our course, that, that that it is a fortunate course to be on. That we will be blessed, not just in the end, but in this life as well. So when he pronounces a blessedness on the one who is poor in spirit, I think he's describing someone, obviously, who does not think very highly of himself. He is not conceited. Uh, and not to say that he is recommending that we have very poor self-esteem or that we think we are worthless or that we are uh, as trash like someone may may say of himself. That's not... That's not what he is going for uh, at all. I really love the uh, bumper sticker that says, uh, you know, I know that uh, I'm, I have worth because God doesn't make any trash. You know, it's interesting to me, Ross, as we look at what he has to say, we got the, the word poor, and it's important that we make the point that poor is not describing what a man has, but is describing, in this case, what a man is. And that's an important difference. And we need to talk about what kind of poverty is being talked about here. Uh, there are two words in, in the New Testament that are used uh, for poverty. One of them means total destitution, absolute poverty. And the other means having only the bare necessities needy. The interesting thing about this to me is the word that Jesus is using is the first word. 
he was essentially saying, blessed are the spiritually destitute, those who are utterly helpless, for they are the ones who will gain access into the kingdom of heaven. The point that Jesus was making is this, I believe. Man must come to feel his total dependence upon God rather than upon himself. He has to come to the place where he realizes his helplessness. He must truly be willing to say, as Jeremiah wrote in Jeremiah 10, 23, O Lord, I know that the way of man is not in himself. It is not in man that walks to direct his steps. Those who are not willing to bow in humble submission to the will of God will never enjoy the blessings of citizenship, which you mentioned earlier, in the kingdom of heaven. Entrance is gained by an attitude of humility and recognition of our own insufficiency, and that attitude, that kind of an attitude, that way of thinking leads to obedience. Yeah, good, that, very good thoughts. So my attitude is not one that says, uh, I'm mostly a good person, I just need a little bit of grace. Uh, need a little bit of help to bridge the gap. That's not poverty of spirit then. Yes, that's right. The next of the Beatitudes is, Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. I think we ought to make the point that this is not a verse of consolation for those who have lost loved ones, nor is it a proof text for the mourner's bench. I get it out. It is a reference to those who mourn because of sin, if I understand it correctly. It is a reference to those who are mourning over the lost condition of their souls. This describes an individual with a broken heart, broken because of the realization of his sin. To such an individual, comfort is promised. You know, it brings to mind a wonderful prophecy in Isaiah, Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 through 3, where we are told, The Spirit of the Lord God is upon me, because the Lord hath anointed me to preach good tidings unto the meek, He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to the captives and the opening of the prison to them that are bound, to proclaim the acceptable year of the Lord and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all that mourn, to appoint unto them that mourn in Zion, to give unto them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they might be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he might be glorified." Jesus fulfilled that prophecy by making salvation available through his death and resurrection. The second beatitude is really an announcement of that coming fulfillment. In contrast to that, uh, Luke, who also mentions the beatitudes, uh, put it a little bit differently in Luke chapter 6, verse 25. He said, Woe unto you that are full, for you shall hunger. Woe unto you that laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. These are the ones with no realization of their soul's condition. These are the ones with no feelings of godly sorrow brought about by their sins. They may be delighting in the things of the world now, oblivious to their true spiritual condition, but eventually they will mourn and weep. For them, there will be no comfort. Okay, thank you. Um, and when I think of an example of that, uh, one, one thought that comes to mind is Peter. When he sinned against the Lord, the Lord looked at him and it says that he, he wept. He went out and he wept bitterly. He was brokenhearted. And that, that's, of course, appropriate for someone who has the law of God written on his heart and who sees Jesus as his brother whom he has betrayed, as all of us have. 
The next uh, beatitude says, Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. So most places where you look up the definition for meek, you'll find the word gentleness. Blessed are the gentle. Uh, there are, I guess, two kinds of people in the world when it comes to uh, this, this thought. There are those who are rough, those who are harsh, those who are difficult, and those who are gentle. And yet, these are not weak individuals. They are not powerless. They are not passive, necessarily. They are still very strong individuals, yet they've learned how to bring that strength in control so that they are not subject to the, the flesh, to the impulses of the flesh, to the, the anger when it boils up. They know how and when to speak, and they do so appropriately. You know, it's a, an inward grace, we might be able to put it that way, uh, an inward grace that exercises our first and chiefly toward God when you think about it. It's, uh, it's that temper of spirit in which we accept his dealings with us as good and therefore without disputing or without resisting. It talks about the type of individual that manifests those kinds of attitudes. It is an inward virtue. Those who possess it do not show resentment or threaten when they are wrong. It is an evenness of spirit. It's a level temperament. It is the opposite of bitterness and violence. Jesus said that those who had such a disposition would inherit the earth. That's a very, very interesting statement. You want to go ahead and deal with that one? Well, I, I, for one, I, do, I know what it doesn't mean. <laughs> I, I know how it's been used in the past. I've heard... Uh, I've heard Jehovah's Witnesses use this verse to talk about the uh, the paradise that will exist uh, perpetually um, for for those who do not get to live in heaven with God. I know it's not talking about that, um, but the Old Testament does quote this phrase uh, where it says, "The meek shall inherit the earth." And so far, my best understanding of this thought uh, has to do with 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 what it is that having a knowledge of God and serving Him enables us and equips us to have... Uh, I mean, Paul put it this way in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 21. Therefore, let no one boast in men, for all things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death, or things present, or things to come, all are yours. Uh, knowing God and having a relationship with God uh, puts us in a very powerful position because he's given us knowledge for life. He's given us peace for the future. He's equipped us with how to deal with others and, and share the good news. And really, we are untouchable by this world and by the devil. kind of talks about the idea of us being blessed now, here in this world, and certainly in the world to come. Yeah. The next of the Beatitudes says, Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. If I may, I'll go ahead and paraphrase that a little bit. Blessed are those who vehemently desire to be right before God, for they will obtain it. I think it's important that we make the point, as the scriptures do, 
that all men are sinners, Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. That being true, man must depend upon God for forgiveness in order to be righteous. This is made possible through obedience to the gospel of Christ. We read about that in Hebrews chapter 5, verse 9. That's just one of the myriad places that we could go. Hunger and thirsting after righteousness shows that a man must want to come. He must desire it and need it as strongly as he needs nourishment for his body. When he does, Jesus says that he will be filled. That's uh, pretty interesting that in this context where Jesus was tempted by the devil, just one chapter before, it says that what preceded that was that he had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights. Afterward, he was hungry. It, it was the same word that, that he used in his sermon to describe the, not just, not just the, I suppose I could eat kind of hunger, but as you say, just a, a very strong craving, a very strong desire. Uh, the next says, Blessed are the merciful, for they shall obtain mercy. You know what that reminds me of? It reminds me of the statement we read in Hosea chapter 6 and verse 6, which says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. I think it goes directly to the heart of the characteristic the Lord is saying is blessed here. It goes to the heart of mercy and mercifulness. Many of the Jewish leaders uh, during the time of Christ were without mercy. The Roman world in which Jesus lived was extremely unmerciful, particularly to slaves and children. Slaves were treated as no better than property, and children could be discarded at birth and allowed to die out on the streets if the parents did not want the child. Uh, Jesus taught mercy against that kind of a backdrop. One of the best explanations of this mercy that I have read is this. To be merciful is to have the same attitude to men as God has. To think of men as God thinks of men. To feel for men as God feels for men. To act toward men as God acts towards men. And I think that puts it pretty well. Yes, it, it surely does. I'm reminded of the parable that Jesus told about the two debtors and how that both had debts that they could not repay. And uh, the one re forgave a debt that was uh, completely insurmountable uh, and, and, and showed him grace, mercy, compassion. And then, and then this forgiven man turned around and would not show mercy toward his fellow man. And I think that shows uh, a complete lack of understanding. When we are guilty of not being merciful, uh, we are not recognizing how much mercy has been extended to us and how uh, indebted we were and impossible to repay the debt that we had accrued against God. Well, it's a basic principle, wouldn't you agree, that uh, the merciful will obtain mercy and those who refuse to exercise mercy in their life cannot expect to receive it at the hands of God. Well, that's exactly right. Um, that's, that's well said. It's just a uh, it cause and effect kind of relationship. Okay, the next of the Beatitudes is, Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. To be pure in heart is to have a singleness of mind. 
It is an honesty that has no hidden motives whatsoever, no selfish interest. It is to be true and open in all things. The heart, in this particular case, refers to the inner man, the faculty and seat of intelligence. So simply put, Jesus was saying, Blessed are those whose understanding is clear, whose spiritual vision is singular, and whose motives are honest, for they shall see God. All that we know of the will of God and about our Lord Jesus Christ we know through the revealed word. Those who know and love the truth follow it with the singleness of mind and with no ulterior motive. They are those who are pure in heart. To see God simply means to have a relationship with him both here on earth and ultimately in heaven. You know, a lot of what the Sermon on the Mount says in the future here has to do with the heart. Murder in the heart, hatred, uh, adultery in the heart, uh, lust, all of these things that, that remind us that God, uh, unlike the Pharisees, God is concerned about what's going on inside the heart. Not just the outward expression uh, of, our, of our lives, but God is one who searches the heart. I'm reminded of the passage in Hebrews 4 verse 12, that the word of God is living and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. How about the next of the parables, or parables, beatitudes? Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the children of God. Jesus wasn't talking about an arbiter in disputes between people. He's not talking about someone who settles disagreements among men. He was talking about peacemakers as those who preach the gospel of peace, teach the gospel of peace, and show the world the way back to God. Yeah, that's the greatest application of that, uh, of that principle. Uh, there, there are those uh, in, in Bible history who, who, who show us an example uh, of this kind of peace, this desire to make a reconciliation with, uh, with sinners and their, and their God. I think Moses is a great example of that, uh, acting as an intercessor, pleading on Israel's behalf, not to uh, not to do them in in uh, in certain situations and trying to get God to be merciful yes just one even one more time you know when a man sins he separates himself from God uh, there is a need for a restoration that takes place then that is the function of the peacemaker uh, to bring that about or assist in bringing that about he preaches the gospel of peace mm. and thereby helps to reconcile the sinner back to God, the sinner having separated himself from God, not the other way around. And I'm reminded of Ephesians chapter 2, verses 16 and 17, where Paul wrote, And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereby, and came and preached peace to you which were afar off and to them that were nigh. He's talking about both Jew and Gentile now being able to be united in one body to the one true God. And we become sons of God because uh, we are entering into the work of God. This is, this is constantly what God was pursuing, and he sent Jesus in order to cr uh, create that peace. You know, to show the, the importance of being this kind of peacemaker, 
I think of Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15. How then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. All of those who proclaim the gospel of peace, whether they do it as a profession or whether they do it simply as a member of the body of Christ, all of those in so doing are acting as the peacemaker. You know, though, uh, sometimes when you preach that peace, uh, you're not always well received. And that leads to the next beatitude. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I think the thing that, that I'm reminded of when I think about the challenges of preaching to people who, who Jesus said would, would sometimes hate you just as they hated him, uh, who love darkness rather than light, uh, is, is the admonition of Paul who, who reminded us that when we suffer persecution, that we should consider those things as momentary light afflictions and that those things are not things that we should dwell on. We should not look at the things that are temporary, but rather the things that are eternal, the things that we can't see in this life, but the things that will, where we will spend 99.9% of the rest of our existence. Very good. How about, blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven going on. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. Rejoice and be exceeding glad, for great is your reward in heaven, for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. Jesus didn't hide anything in the sense of, how difficult it would be to be a follower of his. He's making the point here that to be a follower of his, one needs to count the costs. One needs to recognize that there is going to be persecution of varying degrees and different kinds that are going to come along with living the life of a Christian in a world that cares very little for God. And he's talking about those individuals that they ultimately uh, would be given the strength to endure the persecution now and given the reward eternally in heaven. Yeah, it is, it's quite a fellowship to be invited to share in, the share in the fellowship of his sufferings, in the sufferings of Paul. Uh, but there are blessings in being in that kind of fellowship. Uh, you know, Christians in the first century, they... They rejoiced at times. They found occasion for rejoicing and praising God that they were counted worthy to suffer for the name of Christ. It really is a badge of honor. I hope that this has been a, a little bit of information for you as far as the Beatitudes are concerned. I believe we'll have more to say about the Sermon on the Mount in episodes that are following. But right now, we'd like to thank you for listening today.